We're going to say grace in just a moment. I just want to thank you, brave guys, for coming on out. And I understand there's this great cloud over our nation, over the world right now, of concern and what do we do and what we don't do. And uh, we were going back and forth, do we cancel or not? And so after they said go and we had everything in the oven, they said, well, we have to go through with it now. (laughs) We start cooking stuff off the day before. And uh, it's quite a bit of work. So I just, again, thank you for making this effort. I hope you really enjoy the meal. So, Father, I just ask your blessing upon each and every man here. Thank you for them. Bless them. Keep them. We pray for health for everyone that we know. We, we just uh, stand against this virus. We ask for healing in our nation. Instead of people hoarding and, and fighting over stupid things like toilet paper, may we come together in unity. We're one nation under God. We ask your blessing upon each man here and upon the food in Jesus' name. And again, for all the guys that, the few number that showed up to help, bless them too. Amen. Morning. Good morning. Third time, morning. Thank you guys for coming. We, you know, every time, you know, the women have, they, they sign up a week ahead of time and they, they have them paid three or five dollars and, and, uh, and we do this always in the blind, an act of faith and, and uh, Thursday was afternoon, I finally got the okay, we're going to do it. And so we went off and, and uh, meat was, had been thawing, it went into the oven and, and we were just go. And uh, I was talking to Greg uh, this morning, and he said if we knew more, we probably would have canceled it. And so you guys coming, as um, it's just a wonderful thing. We, we talk, I, I present it all the time as you come for the food, you stay for the fellowship. And today shows that the fellowship really is something that's meaningful. So um, this blesses me, and I'm glad you're here. And and uh, with, let's see, one, two, four. I think we had five people short in the kitchen today. We, we have been busy. I don't want to take a look at Fitbit, but I think I'm around 7,000 steps. And uh, it's been a great morning. Um, and, the, and we cut back a little bit on the food, but there's some stuff left there over there. If you want more, please go and get it, even when... Greg starts talking. If you want some food, take it. And, um, and, and thank you again. So, it's been a busy week. Let me tell you what I've been doing. <laughs> I, I went over to Dean Care to get a pneumonia shot so that I'd be healthy for the trip that was canceled I'm going to. So... My wife said, we're going to Israel, you should get this. So I went and I got it, and, and there was sick people everywhere. There was uh, one corner, there was like two chairs next to each other without hand, you know, rest your arm on. And so there's a person there in the fetal position. This is the first thing I saw. And I got a guy over here, he looks like he's having two masks on his face. And I thought, 
Golly, I'm so glad I'm here. So I took care of that. Then we went shopping for clothes for the trip I'm not going on. And so we, we, went, uh, we went once on over to, um, over to uh, Mount Horeb for um, Duluth Trading Company. Then we went on over to the, there, there's another one in Belleville. The Belleville is a discount store. So if you buy stuff and you, for any reason whatsoever, you don't like it, they send over there about half price. So we went over there and we shopped there twice for, again, for stuff that I'm not going to wear for a while because I'm not going on this trip. So I've just been having a great week. And, uh, and then uh, after we did all that, then find out the trip was canceled. And uh, we're going to decide today what date we're going to think about maybe going. And that's all good. There's a lot of fear. Did anybody watch um, Jimmy Fallon on Thursday night? No audience. Do you know how pathetic it is to watch a comedian without an audience? He's telling this, he's reading the cards, he's telling these jokes. Higgins, his sidekick, laughs. And then they talk a little bit, and then the group roots. They just laugh at the two of them because it really is funny. These guys are drowning. And, and I thought, boy, if we had two weeks of this, I just can't put into words why I'd want to stay up at night to watch this. So, you know, uh, I looked at the other channels, uh, the CBS, uh, they did not have an audience. Uh, Jimmy Fallon's show, he brought on Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete standing there by himself <laughs> telling jokes, which was really fun for about 30 seconds. And so <laughs> I had a really great reason to go to bed early that night. There's a lot of fear going on in our nation right now. During um, 9-11, Chicago had this, I used to watch WGN, they'd have this poster that they'd bring up every once in a while, and it just said, live brave. And now it's time for us to rise up and just do that. Let's be brave. Let's not walk in fear. Let's not consume that everything's going to go bad. Let's use some common sense, but be brave and go forward. Um, Before I introduce uh, Greg, uh, Tom, Tom, raise your hand, wave to me. Tom is still trying to put together a trip to Canada for fishing in June. He had 10 names. He's down to three. He needs three more. He'd really like to have three more to come to it. And so if you'd be interested in in one of the greatest fishing trips you possibly could go to, uh, the guys I went to, Pastor Greg and Zukowski went last year, and they had hours where it was every cast was a uh, walleye, and big walleyes. So it, it's, uh, it's a really a great time if you want to do something like that. When we start this season, uh, what, okay, what? Did you want to make an announcement about Tom Wayne? Uh, Greg will probably say something about it, and, and you, I don't know if you guys look at your emails and stuff. We are shut down tomorrow. It'll be the 11 o'clock uh, service. We'll be streaming and uh, and Pastor Joe is still going to be speaking. Um, no nighttime service. Nope. We're just going to one shot deal. Yep. I believe so. Yeah. Second. Second service. 
Okay. Okay, I'm going to be introducing Pastor Greg. I said a lot of nice things about him in the um, newsletter. Uh, oh, he's coming already. And uh, we were talking. Um, we get together about every once a week or once every other week. We have lunch together. And we'll talk about ministry stuff, and then we'll just talk about our own lives and, uh, and our interaction. And a month ago, we were driving. We were having lunch, and uh, we were talking. And uh, if people around us listen to us, they sometimes refer to us as the old couple. Because um, we'll, just, we'll just go back and forth about some of the stupidest things, just, just for fun. And I said, okay, I'm going to stop right now because I don't want to hurt your feelings. And he looked at me and he said, um, Earl, we were such good friends. There's nothing you can say to hurt my feelings. So I know that you do love me. And we're, we are, we're buddies. Then uh, the last time we went out to eat, we were talking about how many years we've been together as a team. And we're thinking it's 10 years now that uh, the two of us came together when City Church and Mad City came together. And... Uh, I'd say the first year and a half did not go smooth, and uh, uh, we both had different worldviews on what to do, and uh, he told me that he was in charge and I'm not, and so we just went from there, (laughs) and uh, no, you don't tell me that, I I can't, I've never heard it, I don't listen to it. He has so many responsibilities here, and, and uh, he is easy to access. I mean, if you want to get a hold of Greg, it is possible to either get him on the phone or on, the, on his um, cell phone or, or make arrangements to stop in to see him. He, um, he, uh, at the end of first service, he's at the door up here shaking hands with people as they go on out and talking, and uh, he's a people person. He uh, cares about men. He is the men's pastor. I'm uh, the men's ministry leader or whatever name he, he makes up to make me feel like I'm important. And, uh, <laughs> but he is worthy of your respect. So please, welcome him now. Thanks, you guys. Uh, As Earl said, we've known each other for about 10 years. And so if you've only known Earl a short time, five, six, seven, even eight, maybe even nine years, and you still don't like him, just give it a chance. (laughs) Just give it a chance. So I came downstairs this week sometime, and there were three tables set up in the middle of the room with chairs around them. And I thought as I walked by, I thought, oh, we're all set up for men's breakfast already, because I thought that's probably about how many guys we'll have. So I'm really excited, impressed that you guys have come out. Um, Like Earl said, um, all services have been canceled for for the moment. Um, We have been mandated to close. 
uh, to not have any gatherings over 250 people, which we're happy to uh, cooperate with. Um, but I think each of us needs to, to be careful um, to take care of ourselves because there's not going to be anybody else taking care of you. Uh, if you feel good coming to men's breakfast or small groups or anything else that we're doing, then I would say come. Come to those things and enjoy, enjoy the fellowship. But if there's underlying health issues or other reasons why you would prefer not to do that, I would encourage you not to do that, not to do those things. And two, let's give each other permission uh, not to shake hands and do that sort of thing. Sometimes it, sometimes it feels a little uh, standoffish. I'm a hugger. I like hugging people, and I love shaking hands and that sort of thing. So that's hard for all of us. But let's give each other permission not to do that. Um, and let's just pray and hope that this whole thing is very short-lived. Uh, we just feel like we want to be very cooperative up front because this is where it really makes a difference in the beginning, uh, is where it really makes a difference. And so let's go ahead and be cooperative and do all we can do, that sort of thing, and hopefully this will be very short-lived. Um, I think that's all I need to say about that. So why don't we go ahead and pray? I have something on my heart that I want to share with you this morning, and uh, let's just pray the Lord's the Lord's help with that. So Lord, we want to say thank you for all that you're doing in this place and in the world. Lord, we say thank you for drawing us close to you. We say thank you for your grace, which transforms us day by day and empowers us for all that you have for us. Lord, we say thank you for that. Lord, we say thank you for your nearness and your closeness that whenever we turn our attention to you, there you are. There you are. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. And so today, Lord, in this place, do your work in our hearts. Continue to shape us, mold us into your image. And for those few, Lord, transform them. Let this be a transformative moment. And we just pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a verse from the Old Testament book of Zechariah. We don't oftentimes go to Zechariah, so let me give you just a little background on Zechariah. First of all, there were five books written after the return to Israel and to Jerusalem. You'll remember that the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed in 721, and the Assyrians carried the northern kingdom off into captivity. Not too much longer after that, in 586, the southern kingdom of Judah was destroyed, including uh, Jerusalem, was destroyed and carried off by the uh, Babylonians. And eventually, the uh, Persians came in and conquered the uh, Babylonians. And when the Persians uh, overtook that Middle Eastern area, all those in captivity in Babylon were released. You can go home now if you want. And so around the year, this would be about 70 years after 586. So around 520, let's just say, 515, 520, let's say, uh, there began to be people returning to Jerusalem from captivity. And so that first wave that went was under Zerubbabel, the governor, uh, that would soon be the governor there in Jerusalem. The second was under Ezra, and then the third was under Nehemiah. There were two prophets, or 
two prophets. Yeah, two prophets that prophesied during this time. And that would be um, Haggai and Zechariah, where we're going to look today. And so this is a time in Israel's history where where they're returning to the land, they're wanting to rebuild the temple, and they're wanting, this is a time of freedom in many ways for them. And so when they return, you, you remember from uh, the Old Testament that the, will, the walls began to be rebuilt. And almost miraculously, the walls were finished in a short amount of time, and that's the book of Nehemiah. But the temple was laid... The foundation was laid, but it never went beyond that. In fact, after the walls were built, people began to go their own way. They moved out to the suburbs, so to speak, outside the walls, and they began to set up their houses and went on with their lives. Well, into this, Haggai speaks, the Old Testament prophet Haggai. And he says, guys, we need to rebuild the temple. And it's said of Haggai that he was a little terse, a little short, that his arrows were barbed with sarcasm. And as you read Haggai, you see that. You see that pulpit-pounding preacher saying, now is the time that we rebuild the temple. Well, for all of Haggai's effort, nothing happened. It wasn't until Zechariah prophesied that the people were motivated and began to finish the work, and indeed did finish the work of the temple. I think this verse that I'm going to read to you uh, in just a moment is the turning place in Zechariah. This will be a verse that many of you are familiar with. But this is the turning point, I think, in the book of Zechariah. And this is Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. It says this. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, so this is a word that's coming from the Lord, spoken to Zechariah, but for Zerubbabel, the governor. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become a plain. And he will bring forth the top stone or the capstone with shouts of grace, grace. This verse speaks to a number of different things. And let me just, let me just uh, encapsulate it for you in a moment. And then I have a few applications I want to make. First of all, the mountain with which he speaks of that is going to be a plain are the things that have stood in their way up until this time. I'm going to take this mountain, is the word of the Lord, and I'm going to make it a plain. Where this was something that stood in your way before, now it's not going to stand in your way again. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been part of any sort of remodeling project or building project or something like that. These things are always a lot bigger than we think. In fact, I'm just finishing up my third year of a one-year remodeling project at my house. Years ago, years ago in another church I was serving in, we put on a small 10,000 square foot addition. That project was huge. 
for us as a, as a small congregation. It was a huge. I mean, we dealt with architects. We dealt with uh, people in the church, of course. We dealt with contractors. I mean, all these things. And then there's always issues that come up as you're going. The electrician can't make it, or the plumber can't make it, or these things are, are standing in the way. We had a, a neighbor in our neighborhood who didn't want us to build that fought us every bit of the way. Well, I was on vacation. I got a call from, from our lawyer, or no, I got a call from their lawyer, while I was on vacation, which since that time, I've decided never to answer any phone calls uh, while I'm on vacation. I got a call from this lawyer saying, you need to shut down the project right now. If you go forward with it, you're just throwing your money away because we're going to have this project shut down. So I called our lawyer. Our lawyer called that lawyer, and we went forward with the project. But there's all these, all these bumps along the way. And the same thing for building the temple. That this just isn't an e- little easy thing they're doing. This is a big deal to get this thing going. And I think one of those big obstacles in the way, it seems, was just the motivation of the people. It just seemed like they just were not willing uh, to jump in. In fact, by this time, they'd already found some of their own interests. They're raising their families. They're busy with their own lives and doing these sort of things. Haggai speaks to that, and Zechariah does too, but he comes with this. Zechariah comes with this gentle, this gentle word that this is going to be the Lord. It's going to be the Lord. He goes on to say there, it's not by might, not by power. He's speaking against human effort. That you have tried to do this under human effort before. You have tried to, on your own smarts and in your own power and your own strength, you've tried to do this before, and it hasn't worked. But this time, it's going to be by my might and by my power, and that is what's going to make the difference. He goes on, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So not according to your strength, but according to my strength. And then it ends with this refrain, which I just love. And he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace. Now, you know that in Hebrew writing, whenever a word is repeated, that gives extra emphasis to it. And so here he says there are going to be shouts of grace, grace. And of course, we all, many of us, know this term grace is unmerited favor, undeserved favor. That God gives favor to his people, not because they deserve it, but because he loves us. Guys, there's a lot in this verse. There's a lot. There is a mountain that's going to become a plain, but it's not going to be because of your power. It's going to be by my spirit. And in the end, all will rejoice saying, grace, grace, that this was God. That this wasn't because we were so smart or we were so strong. This is because of God. I would just like to say this morning, you know, there's someone once said that there's two groups of people in the world. One group is that group that puts people into two groups, and the other group is the one that doesn't. So I'm of that first group. There's two groups of people in the world. Or let, let, me, let me make this even more pointed. Two groups of men in the world. Men of power and might and men of grace. Men of power and might and men of grace. 
Men of power and might are often self-reliant, hardworking, and proud. I think that fits a lot of us here today. These things are not all bad. In fact, as I say them, I think these things are really good in many ways. Until we exclude God because we can accomplish something on our own. Or until we encounter our own limitations of our humanity and are unable to overcome them. Or until we encounter our own inability and begin making compromises to maintain our illusion of strength. So these things are good until we run up against a wall. And we might be those men of power and might if when we're around others, instead of feeling freedom, they feel control. We might be a man of power and might that when we're around others, they feel intimidated instead of relieved. Or if we're a man of power and might when we're around others, they might feel constriction instead of liberty. So I don't know where you stand. I don't know if you're a man of power and might or you're a man of grace. Chances are you're both. But let me just give you an idea of this man of grace that I'm talking about this morning. I've given you a little bit of an idea of what I think a man of power and might is, but let me give you an idea of what I think a man of grace is. Three points. First point. A man of grace is also a man of strength. But not a strength that's based in our own goodness, our own our own strength, or in our own intelligence, but it's based in the Lord. The Bible says, be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe better translated, be continually strengthened in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. These are Paul's words to Timothy. Timothy was a new pastor at Ephesus, trying to make it work at Ephesus. And when Paul is writing to Timothy in First and Second Timothy, he talks to him about a number of things. He talks to him about old men and young men and older women and younger women. He talks about deacons and elders and widows and all these things. In fact, it says in my Bible that he talked to him of how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. So he's talking to, he's talking to Timothy about all these things. But he is emphasizing at this point and all of chapter 1, which I'm just going to Um, look at quickly before we go on, in all of chapter 1, that these things were never intended to be done in our own strength. These things were intended to be done in the strength of the Lord. And so in chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, he says a number of things. First of all, he says, kindle afresh the gift of God that was given you through the laying on of hands. First of all, this isn't about you, Timothy. Kindle afresh that gift that God has given you. He goes on to say, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Number two, Timothy, this is from God, a spirit of power and love and discipline. That is what he's given us. He goes on to say that this gospel is given according to the power of God. That, Timothy, you're not on your own. There is power that God has given you to preach the gospel. And he called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace. 
That we have received a calling, but it is more than just a natural calling. It is empowered by God. He says to Timothy, he is able, speaking of the Lord, to guard what he has entrusted to you. Or uh, better, speaking from Paul's point of view, he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him. That this is the Lord's working. And then in verse 14, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us this treasure which has been entrusted to you. These are all predicated on God's power and God's strength and God's working. A man of power and might quickly forgets that it is God working in him and through him. He quickly forgets these things and goes back to his own strengths and his own power. Guys, this was made so real to me a number of years ago, way before I came to uh, City Church, at Lake City Church at that time. Uh, just uh, maybe five years before that, I was, in, I was involved in a building uh, project, which I, which I spoke about a little bit earlier. This building project was a 10,000-square-foot addition, as I said, um, but there was, a lot of, there was a lot of opposition in our neighborhood. There was a lot of uh, internal uh, road blocks, so to speak. We were trying to build what was, in essence, a $1.5 million addition. Um, uh, for seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, so we were almost we were trying to build this at almost half the cost. And the way this project went down was because we were trying to get by with it so inexpensively. We had all kinds of volunteer labor. We had recruited uh, uh, retired uh, professionals. Late, um, um, uh, journeymen and others from across the nation that would come, park their RVs on our property, and, like plumbers and HVAC people and electricians would come and park their their RV on our property and do this work for us. So we were able to lower the cost, lower the cost, lower the cost. Volunteer uh, carpenters and everything of that sort. But guys, we were operating on a razor edge, on a razor edge. I mean, we could have, in my opinion, we could have lost everything. We could have lost it all. And so the day, the week before we start the project, the, the earth movers are already on the property. They're already, they're ready to begin next week. The, peop, the person who is uh, general contracting the job, who had volunteered, comes to me and says, I can't do it. Uh, I've taken another job doing something else. Well, we have everything. Everything's ready to go. We have our financing. We have, we have approval from the city. We have everything ready to go. We can't turn back now. So I make one of the biggest mistakes of my life. I'll do it. I'll do it. You know what? We finished that project with the extra giving that was given to it. Um, at an unbelievable, our mortgage, at a, a $1.5 million project, our mortgage for this project was $250,000. But I'm not sure I can give the Lord glory for all of that. Because there was a man of power and might at the helm. And the more I pushed the more I had to push. And the more I, I um, uh, um, asked, the more I felt like I had to ask. 
Ask for finances. Ask for volunteers. Ask for all these things. And there were many days where I would come to the church with my, at that, in those days, we carried briefcases. I'd come to the church, and I'd put my briefcase at the door because an electrician or someone would need me over here, and I'd go there. From that person, I'd go over here, and from that, I'd go over here. From that, I'd go over here. And at the end of the day, I'd come back, and there my briefcase was still at the door. And I'd pick up my briefcase, and I'd go home. I just want to say this. That if you're a man of power and might, that this is something that is going to be unsustainable. It's going to be unsustainable. I remember during those days just thinking, if we can just make it till next week, if I can just make it till next week, or if I can just make it till next month, or if I can just make it till this point, then everything will be okay. Finally, at the end of that project, I was so burnt out. I was so burnt out that I was crying at elder meetings. I get an elder meeting, we begin to talk about uh, uh, the project and other things, and I would just begin to weep. I just began to cry uncontrollably. I was just, I was just, I was just strung out. So after that, I took a three-month sabbatical. Of course, the building project was done and all those things. I took a three-month sabbatical. I came back, and at my first elders meeting, I broke down crying again. God has not made us to function without him. God has made us to function with him, not to be men of power and might, but to be men of God's grace that are standing in his strength and in his power. And that means we rely on him. There is less self-reliance and more reliance on him. Now, let me tell you how this works or remind you how it works because I know you already know. So we rely on the Lord until it seems like he's not paying as close attention as we'd like. And it seems like he's just not coming through. And if I could just interject a little bit right here, if I could just take this to the next step, because obviously it doesn't seem like, like the Lord is really paying as close attention to this as I am. And we take that next step without him. Guys, We're putting ourselves out there in a place we shouldn't be. The place we should be as men of grace is walking in step with the Spirit, as Paul says. Walking in step with the Spirit, following the Spirit, believing God for Him to work. Not trusting ourselves, but believing Him for Him to work in our lives. This is a man of strength that is strong in the grace of our Lord. Does the Bible encourage us to be strong? Yes, as men. Yes. But in the grace of the Lord our God. Be strong in this. So when you're thinking about being strong, when you're thinking about being a strong man, think about this. Think about being a strong man of grace. That I'm going to be strong in him. The world might expect me to be strong, to be a man of power and might. The world might expect me to be that. But what I've decided, what I have purposed, is to, to put aside my own self-reliance and to be a man of grace. A man of grace that's focusing on being strong in his grace. So that's point number one. That to be a man of grace, we do need to be strong. We do need to be strong, but in him. Here's the second one. 
So to be a man of grace, we need to be strong. Secondly, we need to be men of faith or men of trust. It says in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 4.16, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace in a, to help in a time of need. So here's the order. We draw close in confidence, and when we draw close in confidence, we receive grace. So that first part is simply drawing close to him or having that faith or that trust to come close to the Lord. It reminded me of an Old Testament account of King Asa. King Asa. Asa was one of the early kings of Judea after the kingdom split north and south, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. King Asa was one of those early kings, the first, second, or third king. I mean, very early king. And his story, uh, if you brought a Bible, his story is found in 2 Chronicles. I'll read it to you, so don't worry if you haven't. His story is found in 2 Chronicles, uh, starting at verse 14. Um, This is the war against Basha. Now, Basha was the king of the, the northern tribe. And so there's this, this war on the, the northern tribes trying to invade the southern tribe. And so what happens in this account is that Asa decides, I'm going to go to Lebanon, the king of Lebanon, which is north of the northern tribe. I'm going to go to the king of Lebanon, and I'm going to take money out of the treasuries of the house of the Lord. And I'm going to hire this king from the north, his army, to come and help me. And that's exactly what he does. The king comes to help him. And the kings of of the northern, uh, northern kingdom are repulsed. And so, victory. Esau has victory by his power and might. But listen as the story goes on. This comes as God's rebuke of Esau. Because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. So Aram was the king that was helping him. This king has escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Uh, I'll refer back to this in a second, but this army that he's referring to was one million people, 300 chariots. We're not the immense army, but because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his or wholly his. Not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-Y. That is wholly his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. I think Asa was foolish because of this. Two things. Number one, if you go back to 2 Chronicles 14, you'll see this battle of the Ethiopians. And it says there that although this immense army came against Asa, that because he trusted in the Lord, that the Lord repelled this army 
It's very, very clear. The Lord says it in just those terms. Because you trusted in me, I have repelled this army and it is gone from you. Victory was brought because of trust, because of faith in the Lord. But here's a later time, probably many, many years later. In fact, it could be as many as three decades later. Asa faces an army again, but this time, instead of trusting the Lord, he takes money out of the temple treasury. And he goes and he hires a king to defend him. And in the end, he is defended. But God says, you could have had this king. You could have had this king, but because you partnered with him, now you don't have him. So number one, why I think Asa is foolish, is because the Lord was going to fight for him. The Lord was going to deliver him, but he went and he looked somewhere else. The other thing, maybe even more importantly, is this. Is that the Lord wanted to fight for him. The Lord wanted to be his rear guard. The Lord wanted to bring victory. Look at the verse that I read near the end here that says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is wholly his. So the Lord is actually looking for people that trust him. His eyes are actually moving throughout the earth, looking for men of grace that he can't support. So it's not that the Lord has his eyes turned against us. It's, the Lord, it's actually that the Lord is actually looking to help. But he's looking for those that will trust him, that will trust him, that will put their trust in him. Guys, I think this is a good word for the things that we're going through even today, this week, with, uh, with the whole virus thing, is that it's so easy. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying be dumb, and I think you understand that. I'm saying take precautions. But our trust is not in the medical system. Our trust is not in the political system. Our trust is not in these things. Our trust is in the living God. Our trust is in him, that he hears our prayers, that he undertakes, that his eyes are moving to and fro throughout the earth to find those that he can support. That he's not on a faraway vacation and we're, you know, sending these emails and text messages and and he's just not responding because he's having so much fun on a beach somewhere. God is actually looking for those that he can support. And when he finds someone, like King Asa in his early years, when he finds someone that he can strongly support, then he will support them. So here's the key to trusting the Lord. It comes from a familiar verse. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Here's the first thing. Lean not on your own understanding. God's ways are so far above our ways. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to encourage you to do something stupid. Uh, find, find the Lord's will in an abundance of counselors. But we can't lean on our own understanding. God's ways are far beyond. We cannot see God's plan. We can't see that far ahead. But we can trust him. And those things which might look like a disaster today, God is actually using for something great in the future. And so instead of running off ahead of him, we stay in step with him. Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. So that's number one. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. That, that verse ends. 
This idea of acknowledging him is the simple idea of giving thanks. When we give thanks to God, we admit to ourselves that this wasn't me. That this wasn't me. This was because of you, Lord. And you can tell how much you believe that by how often you give the Lord thanks and what you give him thanks for. If the Lord is truly undertaking daily in our lives, then we'll be daily giving him giving him thanks, acknowledging him in our lives. Guys, this was the problem that they were having at Rome. That Paul says in, in uh, Romans chapter 1, he says, these are those who knew God but failed to honor him as God, refusing to give thanks. So they knew God, but they didn't honor him as God, i.e. giving thanks to him. They didn't see him as involved in their lives. They didn't see him as, as close. You know, they, they saw him as far away. So they knew God, but they didn't honor him as God or give him thanks. So this is the, the second part of that. First of all, not, not trusting ourselves, but secondly, secondly realizing that God is, God is in control. He's bigger. He's bigger than I am. Acknowledge him in all our ways. So these are these two steps in just building trust to the Lord. So this first step is just being strong in the Lord. The second step is being, uh, being a man of strength. The second step is being a man of faith. And then here's the last step I want to give you. <clears throat> a man of humility. So we're men of strength, we're men of faith, but we're also men of humility. The Bible says this, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. It says in another place, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's James 4, 6. Our desire is to receive grace. Our desire is to be a man of grace. But this necessitates humbling ourselves in the sense of we're not trusting anymore in our power and might. We're not trusting anymore in our, in our intellect. We're renouncing those things. And we're saying, Lord, if this is going to work, this is going to have to be you. God is interested in our humility. And God will actively intervene in our lives to make us humble. Do you believe that? I could share story after story how God is actively involved in my life to keep me humble. You might think it's not working very well, but just imagine what I'd be like if he wasn't actively involved in my life. I told you this story before, um, and I didn't plan on telling it, but um, just to illustrate that point very briefly, I think, I think many of you have heard this story, but uh, one Sunday morning, I'm on my way to church. And I have to stop at the gas station down here on Buckeye to get gas. And I go, I'll get gas before I get to church because when I leave church, I'm always anxious to get home. And I don't want to stop for gas then, so I'm going to stop for gas now. So I walk into the, which it was the PDQ at that time. I walk into the PDQ, and I notice over by the bakery section that there is this, this nicely dressed, slender woman with, with silky black hair. Now, I can only see her from behind. But the picture in my mind is I'm walking up to the bakery ca- case is that this is a very attractive, very together sort of woman. And I walk up to her and our eyes meet and she gets this big smile on her face. And we, we exchange a, a couple comments and I get my bakery items and I make my way up to the counter. But as I'm walking away, I'm thinking, 
thinking, Greg, you, you still got it. I mean, you, you are, you know. And uh, so I walk away and I get up to the counter and I'm paying for my stuff. And the lady at the counter is just, she's got this huge smile on her face. And by this time, I am feeling like, man, I got it. I got it. And so I'm walking out to the car. I, I slide in the seat. And, you know, these things are going through my mind. And I'm, I'm thinking, I just need to see what's going on here. So I, so I flip the mirror towards myself thinking, yeah, I'm right. I do got it. I flip the mirror towards myself. And I would cut myself shaven early in the morning. And I had two pieces of tissue stuck to my face right here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, that's what they were thinking. You got it going on. You got it going on. Yeah. This is, this is proven time and time again in the scriptures where God humbles, humbles the people that are, that are proud. God is actively involved in that. Um, but here's the good news, that we are able to humble ourselves. And let me just give you just a few steps, and then I'll close. First of all, we just have to realize that we are human that we are human. This helps in humbling ourselves, that we aren't superhuman, we're just human. C.S. Lewis once said, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can think to tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. Guys, don't go around telling people you're humble. If you tell people you're humble, that's probably proof positive that you're not, you know? The second thing is, is that we are all proud, especially as men. We are all proud. This is part of the fall. This is part of our, our sinfulness, that there is a pride that is in the inner man. But in me admitting that we are human helps us to understand that, that, hey, I, I am proud. I am a proud man, but God is changing my heart. God is changing me. But this is the first step. First step is to admit that I am human. The second step we've already touched on, and that's expressing gratitude back to the Lord. Of just saying, thank you, Lord, for the things that you've done. This isn't something I've done in myself. This is something that you're doing, oh, Lord. I think sometimes we take way too much credit for the things that the Lord's doing through us. There is an Old Testament scripture that I want to share with you. And then uh, I'm going to close pretty quickly after this. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, this is in First Chronicles chapter 29. This, I love this story. This is the, the account of them gathering um, uh, metals and, and um, textiles and all these things for the temple. Uh, and it says here in these verses in 29, it says that they gathered 188 tons of gold. 188 tons of gold. 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, and 3,750 tons of iron. Not to mention everything else they were gathering for. So all these things come in. And then here's David's prayer in response back to the Lord. Listen to what he says. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of the assembly. And David said, because, or excuse me, blessed are you, O Lord, God of Israel, our father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and on earth, yours is the dominion. 
Do you see what David is saying? He's saying, God, all of this is yours, and you have power over it. You have sovereignty over it. You have rulership over it. He goes on to say, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you. He's saying, all that we have received has come from you. Riches and honor, it all comes from you. Guys, this is a great worldview. This is our Christian worldview. That everything we have has come from God. And David realized it. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might. And it lies in your hand to make great and strengthen everyone. Guys, if we really believe these words, we wouldn't be men of power and might. We'd be men of grace. Because everything lies in his hand. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are these people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you. And from your hand, we have just given back to you. This reminds me of when our kids were small and they wanted to buy a a Christmas present for their mom. Dad, can I have money to buy buy a present for mom? Yeah, here, here, take take 10 bucks or take 20 bucks, depending on how old they were. Yeah, here, take this. That's, that's, That's the same way with the Lord. Lord, I need, that comes from him. He's just handing off. What I ever give back to you, Lord, or whatever I do for you has come from you to begin with. I'm only returning back to you out of the abundance of the things that you've given me. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously, generously as this? For all things come from you. And from your hand we have given you. For we are sojourners before you and tenants as all the fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no hope. O Lord our God. Here's how he ends his prayer. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it is from your hand and all is yours. Here's the first step. Becoming men of humility. Recognize and admit your humanness. Secondly, express gratitude because everything comes from the Lord. Thirdly, practice servanthood. None of us are above serving one another. Jesus knelt down and washed his disciples' feet, the lowest, the lowest job in the household amongst the household slaves. And Jesus knelt down even when all the others refused to do it. Jesus knelt down and wash the disciples' feet. Practice servanthood. And here's the last one. Laugh at yourself. Laugh at yourself. Here's an old saying that says this. Blessed are they that laugh at themselves, for they shall never cease to be entertained. (laughs) So guys, here's my challenge. As guys, there's something in us that wants to be men of power and might. God sees that, and God will use that. But where we should be strong is strong in the grace of the Lord. Men of grace instead of men of power and might. And the way that grace comes about in our lives is approaching it with humility, approaching it with trust, and approaching it with strength that I have purposed 
in the strength that you've given me by your grace to be a man of grace. Should we pray? So, Lord, we want to just say thank you for the things that you're speaking to us out of your word, Lord. We believe that your word is eternal and that it will last forever. Lord, let it be true in our hearts. Lord, let it take root, bring forth fruit. But, Lord, let it last forever. Let it accomplish its work, which you've intended for us today. Lord, we want to be the men of God that you want us to be. So, Lord, let your grace reign in this place. Shape us, mold us, make us. Lord, we pray. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.